Remembrance Day. Now, I had no intention whatsoever of talking about it. Jim had said, oh, it doesn't necessarily, you can speak whatever you like. But the Lord during the week has told me that's what I've got to talk about as one of the things, one issue. So it is a special time, of course, and there's been so much more about it. So, um, so he said that he felt that he wanted me to say something about war from a Christian standpoint and what indeed we could do about it, if anything. And of course it presents us every year, we have it annually, it presents us with of course the same question. Why does God allow, allow it if he's a loving God? And from our earthly point of view, of course, in, in the moral involvement it, it entails, there's never been a complete answer and I don't think actually we're ever gonna get one on this earthly life. And we can only see that war is an awful, awful extension of man's constant struggle with sin and evil, which is, of course, ever-present in this fallen world. War, in fact, is the ugly fruit of sin. And it's certainly the most serious manifestation of the problem of evil. Um, you may wonder why I'm wearing this cross. One of the things I do amongst my, when I amuse myself, is make jewellery. And this cross I've made this week for somebody in Michigan, in America, who's this amazing thing of, in, of the internet. She ordered it. <laughs> and it's for her mother's Christmas present. And I was looking at it last night, and the Lord said to me, you must wear that tomorrow. I thought, why? Why have I got to wear it tomorrow? But anyway, I'm obeying it and obeying him and I'm wearing it. And actually, thinking about it and looking at the cross, of course, it consists of the nails, Jesus' nails. So we've got the cross, which in itself was an evil, evil construction. We've got the nails, which were themselves evil because they nailed Christ to the cross. And it's not set on gold, it's set on brass. And it occurred to me, of course, that brass is one of the metals of war. It's the, it's the metal used for, for casing. If you look at Jim's father's belt over there, brass, brass buckles. And you know, it, it just crossed my mind that actually there's a lot more in this that relates to war. Um, but, of course, at the end of the day, it's a cross. The, the thing itself was evil. It tried to destroy Jesus, and of course, the evil was spectacularly failed in this instance. So, we know, of course, that it's not going to last forever, this, and we've got there's this lovely description in Revelation, which we've got to take as a real encouragement. And it starts, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things have passed away. War is clearly totally wrong, but the dilemma for us is, is not helped by the Bible that has seemingly two opposite positions. And these have long been used to support two opposite points of view over the question of war. Pacifism has always been present and, and features substantially in records in the First World War. 
and we've heard a lot about it this year on broadcasts and television. And those Christians who for faith reasons took that stance were subjected to a lot of vilification and had to show real strength of faith to maintain their position. And as you know, they were, a lot of them were being sent white feathers and things like that through the post, or their parents were. I mean, it was very awful. Um, and some felt, as they still do, that war, that war is totally incompatible with Christian teaching, and subsequently their Christian lives, and is therefore totally unacceptable in all circumstances. And if you look at the verse in Matthew 5, verses 43 to 44, you have heard it was said... Love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may, may be sons of your Father in heaven. It's got to be construed, therefore, that fighting and killing your enemy is hardly loving them. Instead, we must lay down our arms and love, and love them. And this is what the reading seems to say. Do you have to do that to be sons of your Father in heaven? It really is a pretty clear statement, and there has no ambiguity whatsoever. It would explain also now the vehemence of those Christians who took that position in face of the substantial opposition and dislike from all many of their friends. The other view, though, is that armed preparedness is always necessary. It's equally clearly stated and based on other biblical verses. The Christian citizen is obliged to obey those that are in authority. And there are several biblical verses which support this. For example, we read in Romans, Every man must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who re rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. I can remember my maternal grandfather saying that how much he hated the Germans after World War I. Some, in some senses, it's understandable because of what he, he went through, like so many did. I mean, he was a, a present at both the major battles, the Somme and Ypres. And he was caught, and he escaped, and he eventually was taken in in Belgium in, into a house of a doctor in a village and kept for the remaining eight months of the war in an attic in, the, in his house, and he was looked after by the family. I mean, it was amazing. They, they ran awful risks because there was a German uh, centre, actually, in the village. But, you know, he, he, got, he came through the war, but he, he said that, you know, he so hated them that he said that if he passed one in the street, he would want to smash him in the mouth. So I, I think this is quite understandable in some senses. So we might feel that it may still be possible to love our enemies, therefore, in some circumstances, if their involvement, as was ours, is one of correctly obeying the authorities. But it does come, become difficult. The problem boils down, therefore, to one of moral choices. God wanted the world based on moral values. 
and he therefore created man and a society that would respond to moral choices. He gave us all free will so we can choose without hindrance but we will then reap the rewards of bad moral choices. And war always will include bad moral choices. I can only imagine God must have wept or must continually weep over totally senseless decisions that are made during these, these conflicts, particularly in the both world, the world wars. And I think especially maybe in the First World War. There's a good summing up of what war is to be found in James 4. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. I wonder what wrong motives had been prayed, prayed for on both sides in these conflicts that God never answered. And then it goes on from verse 7. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come nearer to God and he will come near to you. As Christian individuals, we may feel that we have absolutely no influence on the outcome or indeed the start of wars, but we actually do. We may feel that we are so small and so imperfect that our prayers would not have any effect. Well, if God waited until we're all perfect before he could use us, then his all ministry might stop at that point. He doesn't, of course. He always wants to use us. Prayer from the heart with the right motives is always answered. Peacemaking in all scenarios, whether in war or simply domestic occasions, is the Lord's ministry. Our role to love him so that his power may flow through us, so we as Christians can be used to fulfil his purpose on earth in promoting peace. But before we can be as effective as God wants, we have really serious work to do. We all know God's great commandment, Mark 12. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. Loving God in this way will open up the Spirit's gifting. It will equip us in so many ways to be a force for, for peace and to shine like a beacon for Jesus. Now, I was a, a war baby. In fact, the first 18 months of my, of, of my life, uh, I was in and out of air raid shelters in London at night with my mother. And unfortunately, I was the baby because <laughs> if I'd been an adult, I don't think I would have gone mad because apparently I cried, cried most, of the, most of the time and most nights. Um, so... Because of that, my father was away, and there was two and a half years, in fact, from the time I'd been born to the time he came back, because he was in the Far East fighting, before he saw me. And incidentally, Josie's story 
I have the same story to tell, and, and I've always rather imagined it was a sort of family myth, but I was with my mother in our house, and for some unknown reason, I've never worked it out, they lived in London, where, where we actually came from Southend and Leon Sea, and they got houses, houses in Leon Sea, and why, why we went to London uh, during the war, I've no idea, but at any rate, that's where we were. And I was in the house with my mother, and a V1 did exactly the same thing came along, and this, is, this was from a, a neighbour who saw it happen, we were inside. It cut out, came flying down, looked as though it was going to hit the house, a, a breath of wind, a gust of wind came and blurred across the road. Um, and as I say, so I've, often, I've often rather thought it was a sort of myth, but it, it may well of course been been true. Um, but the point I was coming to was the fact that I didn't see my father for two and a half years and he came back uh, to uh, his wife and this screaming child. Um, and um, I think as a result, my relationship with him was never that great. Um, he was a sort of fairly aloof man. He, he, he worshipped my mother completely and, and that was great. But... I never had a very particular type, good relationship with him. And, and in fact, I can think that the one time he was in hospital just before he died, and he died quite young, really. He was only 66. Um, I can remember adjusting. He got a, one of these air things in his nose. And I can remember adjusting it for him, and it's the first time that I'd ever in my life done anything like that for him. And for me, it was quite something. So, you know, my experience of, of my earthly father makes, I think, it difficult, like a lot of people find it difficult, to try and relate to God as father. But, of course, he's infinitely more wonderful. So, how do we really love God? You know, when I find it, I've found it difficult in that sense to see it God as Father, um, and I'm sure I'm not the only one. You know, the, the second commandment, of course, is love your neighbour as yourself, and it's probably what most people easily opt for, but because it's easier. However, if we adopt this route, we actually, over, t over time, lose our intimacy with God, and loving God requires developing this intimacy. If you say, actually, you can't love God or you find it extremely difficult, it's actually a trap. And we've got to set ourselves free from that trap. But loving God and realising about loving God is that it starts from us and it starts with a firm, conscious decision from us to love him. And it's not, at that stage, anything whatever to do with feelings. We've just got to put God first. And if we, the way to love him is to develop our relationship with him, and that is by prayer. It, and that can easily be started just by thanking him. He loved us first, so you could start by thanking him for that. In Thessalonians, we find a, a very encouraging passage, be joyful always, pray continually, Give thanks in, in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. 
just as the reading says, give thanks in all circumstances. We have no end of, all got no end of things to we could be thanking God for. We must start by thanking him for how rich we are in world terms, his wonderful creation and all the benefits we have. We need to do this regularly during the day. Give thanks in all circumstances, it says. We can even find things in adversity that we can thank him for. However long we've been believers, regularly daily thank yous will start bringing us closer to an intimacy with God. And that's just what he desires. And there's a natural progression from thanks to worship to intimacy. So soon our thanksgiving prayers will be more joyful and we will, we will then be praising him. And as we praise him, we must certainly begin to love him. Whenever we make this decision, God does not expect us, of course, to do it on all, rely entirely on our own efforts. He's there, he's real, and he's going to respond to us if he knows we're trying hard to seek him diligently. I believe it's all about our intimacy with him, which will then develop over time to bring us closer to, the, to a loving relationship. Loving God is number one. First, before everything else, and that even includes our Christian work and our Christian duties, it's number one. And it's, it's what will produce an effective Christian in all of us. Loving God first will release our gifting. Loving God first will help us to be effective future, future peacemakers. Loving God first will make us beacons for Christ and give us strength and boldness through him to speak out for what is right and for moral values in a society which is fast removing them, sadly. Loving God will make us better as a loving our neighbour as ourselves. Loving our neighbour does, does also include protecting them in all circumstances, including war. Loving God first is a win-win situation. Shall we pray? Dear Lord, this is a special day where the horrors of conflict are brought to our minds. It forcefully reminds us of the ever-present influences of evil in our fallen world. We are so sorry for the misuse of the moral framework you gave us to live by and that conflicts are still going on. Despite this, we thank you for your constant love for us all and we know that we must deepen our love for you. Please help us to achieve this. Please help us to strengthen our resolve to recommit our lives to you. And always remember to put you at the very centre. We long to be the type of Christians that are loving and effective and you can use as peacemakers and to grow your kingdom. We pray your blessing on those in the world who love you and are currently loving their neighbour by working to protect us all in our health, well-being and safety. We pray that they and all of us will know you and continually grow in love for you. In the name of Jesus. Amen.